everybody and welcome to another one in our series of financial well-being podcasts. I'm looking at a little list I've got here. This is podcast number 98, which means that we're coming up to 100. Are we going to have a party, Chris? I think we, we should. Can we announce our 100th episode guest? Tomo doesn't know this one. Um, we're going to have Sir David Attenborough. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool if we could, though? That'd <laughs> oh, be great. Get on to him. Get on to him. Come on, Tommy. I would be the coolest dad in the world. My boy would just Tom, come. you already are. Oh, bless No offence, Chris. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I'm here, David Lloyd. We've got Chris Budd uh, and we've got Tom Morris. Guys, just tell us a little bit about your backgrounds, please. Uh, yeah, I'll go first. I'm just going to sound like a broken record. Um, <laughs> Tom Morris, father of two, uh, ha- happily married husband. Um, you know that, but but day job is a uh, chartered financial planner and director over at Ovation Finance, based in Bristol. Um, and yeah, always be closing. Shameless plug. We've been supporting this for the last what almost it seven years now. Wow, nearly eight. Um, nearly eight is it? Oh wow. Uh, yeah. If you're looking for a financial planner who's got a friendly friendly face, then we're for you. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that one. It's interesting you introduced yourself as a father of two. I mean, I'm I'm a father of one. My son is 35 this year, so I would never introduce myself as a as a father of one. Chris, your kids are somewhere in between those two. Would you introduce yourself in that way? No, I wouldn't, but it just goes to show how all pervasive <laughs> young kids are in your life, doesn't it? They are. As we're at the time of recording, they're two and six. So, uh, yeah. And, and I think it came to mind because you mentioned my son and Attenborough. So you automatically get in dad mode then, don't you? Excellent. Yeah. Well, we're all dads and obviously we all have different experiences of that. But I think we could all agree it's the best thing in the world being a dad, apart from when it's the worst thing in the world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, where are we at with the financial well-being book, Chris? Your latest one is that out now. Uh, I hope so. We're recording this a little in advance, um, but um, fingers crossed. If it's not out, it certainly should be available for pre-order. Yeah. And what's it called? It's called the Four Cornerstones of Financial Well-Being. Excellent. Get out there and buy it if you haven't done it already. Available in all good bookshops and, of course, online. Right. Tell your friends and don't give them a copy that you've read already. Exactly. <laughs> Worst thing in the world. Worst thing in the world is when your friends give books away. What's on today's podcast, Chris? Today, David, we are listening to a chat between me and Hal Hirschfield, who's a professor at UCLA Anderson School of Management in Los Angeles. Wow, he sounds uh, interesting already. What's his uh, subject area? Hal, uh, as well as being an absolutely delightful chap, Hal has done some amazing work in the area of how good we are, or to the point, how bad we are, at connecting with our future selves and what this means for financial decisions that we are making now. Oh, that's very intriguing. I shall look forward to hearing that interview. I may well have some thoughts on that myself. Well, depending on what he says, odds. Right, uh, before we come on to that, let's go to the first one of our regular features, No Shizzle Sherlock in which we listen to the words of wisdom from a financial or investment guru and wonder whether this is indeed insightful and meaningful advice or whether it is a load of old rubbish. So, Chris, what have you got for us today? Actually, I'm handing over to Tomo for this one. Yeah. Does this mean that I don't actually have to come up with any of the uh, response and challenge? So hopefully I can give the challenges to you guys. In the main, David, these quotes are focused on investments 
But financial well-being is all about money in the widest sense. So I thought I'd take a look at some tips online for how to get rich quick. Uh-oh, alarm mm. bell klaxon ringing mm. all over the place there. Mm, quite, quite. There is an awful lot of sensible advice out there, but there is also a fair amount of rubbish talked about as well. Well, obviously, we don't talk rubbish on this podcast, so why don't you give us some of the good ones first? I think I think some of the reviews might suggest otherwise, David. But anyway, let's move over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there, there, there's a lot of great advice available online, especially about one of the five pillars of financial well-being, you know, having control of daily finances, you know, automating your savings, for example. And we'll actually hear more about that and, and, and why it's so important in this podcast. Um and we're also gonna gonna hear about how we're not very good at making def- f- good financial decisions about our future. Another tip you see quite often is paying off debt, which hard to disagree with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, often they are just a bit silly. You know, several sites I've seen. You know, just start up a business, build it, then sell it, as if it was that easy. You often find that particular one is being suggested by websites that, uh, funny enough, show you, will say that they can show you how to start a business, then build it up. <laughs> yeah, and charge you for it, presumably. Right. So let's get this off your chest then, Tomo. What's the worst one for you? What's today's No Shizzle Sherlock? The one tip of successful people that really, um, yeah, how can I politely say this on a podcast? Yeah, gets my goat. That's a good one, isn't it? Gets my goat. Um, it's best summed up by this from Jeff Bezos, man of Amazon fame. Go to bed early and wake up early. The morning hours are good. Oh, God, it's like those. I people. mean, sorry, I, I go, I, you go, I'm going now. Be in my body. I mean, this is just utter. <laughs> it's this whole thing of five a.m. club. Hashtag five a.m. club. Wake up early. If you don't wake up early, you're not successful. Do you know what? Good for you, Jeff. Good for you. You are clearly someone who is fabulous in the mornings. I, on the other hand, am not. I am <laughs> dreadful. We talked about being a parent. The one thing I really struggle with is early rises and having to start early all the time. I am not productive then. So do you know what, Jeff? Good on you. <laughs> but if you're someone who works brilliantly later on in the afternoon or in the evening and wants to lie in, good for you. You can still be a success. I I agree with you 100%, Tomo. I'm not a morning person. I mean, I can get up, but I, it's not my natural constituency early morning. Uh, and uh, a, a few years ago, when I took a dip into the corporate world and I was working for a big organisation, uh, and I was paid at certain working hours, and they introduced these uh, like breakfast meetings where we were expected to go in an hour earlier than we were actually being paid for so that we could all sit around and eat pastries and drink coffee uh, and talk about important things that we just didn't have time for in the business world, in our normal working day. Well, I went to one or two of those. And after a while, I just thought, no, this is a load of old nonsense, A, because we weren't really discussing anything that made any difference to the success of the company. But also, I resented the fact that I was being expected to do this and not get paid for it. Well, well, I spot on. And you know what? You know the phrase, early bird catches the worm. 
Well, I'm sure you late birds can as well, all right? <laughs> so it really gets my goat. It really does. Some can of I, us are night owls, for goodness sake. Can I offer a little tip here? Um, Tomo is one of the best financial planners you could possibly find, and everybody should come to him and have a meeting. But don't do it before 10. <laughs> <laughs> that is very, very good advice. I'm the same. I went. I had to go to the dentist the other day just for a routine checkup, and uh, I had to book another one for six months' time. Uh, and she said, well, what sort of time would you like? And I said, well, what have you got? Morning would be good. And she said, well, she starts at 8 o'clock. And I said, well, she might, but I don't. And we, <laughs> and we booked for 11. <laughs> <laughs> oh, glad we put right. that one to bed. But, uh, and by the way, if you're a 5 a.m. person, good on oh, you. Great. I don't need to bloody know every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Some clearly strongly expressed views there from Tomo. We criticised him a podcast or two ago about sitting on the fence None of that going on here today. <laughs> oh, gosh. Right, let's move on now to our next regular feature, which is uh, Titus Tomo, where uh, the aforementioned Tom Morris uh, will give us a, a tip about how we can uh, save money in a very effective way. Some of them are serious, some of them are slightly less serious. But before we come on to Tomo's today, Chris, have you got anything for us? I do. Um You'll be noticing a theme if you've been listening to the last few podcasts that um, the Institute of Financial Wellbeing that I founded and Tomo was a um, founding director of uh, runs a course called the Financial Wellbeing Certificate. So any advisors listening to this, get on and do that. Because um, the last cohort that just finished, I asked them for their tips. So I've been giving you quite a few that they've shared with me and there's been some absolute crackers. Um, but this one is from David Owen of Open Work Partnership. And David's slightly bonkers in a most lovely way. A very funny guy. Great company. So this is, consequently, this is what I would call it brilliantly daft, okay? This is his tip. It's how about go to the back of the... And bear in mind, David is of a, my age, let's say, in his 50s, I would guess. I hope he's not 38. That would be really rude, wouldn't it? Um, so David suggests, go to the back of your wardrobe or get in the loft and dig out your old work clothes, the ones you used to wear to work, the old suits, etc., but never got round to giving away. Now wear them again, and you can tell people that you're into vintage clothing. <laughs> you save money and make yourself appear cool at the same yeah, time. Exactly. I like that one. Now, I've got one. Again, This we've probably covered this before, and it's perhaps a little bit of an obvious one, but it just sprang into my mind because I had direct experience of this yesterday. I was down at the supermarket. In my case, it's Tesco's. That's where I tend to do most of my shopping. But other supermarkets are available, and I'm sure they all run similar schemes. Um Tesco have a thing called a club card, and, and, and as you're going around their shops, you will see that there are certain items in just about every category that have a significant reduction if you have the club card. Uh, I'd also had uh, a selection of vouchers that I'd got from the shopping that I'd done at Tesco that were valued like £11.50. And so the combination of having those vouchers that I could cash in and also particularly picking out wherever it was possible items that had a club card reduction... I got a £32 reduction on my bill at the till just by being a little bit selective. I still bought quality items. I wasn't buying anything that I didn't want to buy. I was just a little bit more careful about what I bought. And I came away feeling very satisfied about the money that I'd saved there. That's a great tip, David. How to save money on your weekly wine shop. <laughs> well, interestingly, <laughs> because if you'll remember... Back in January, I did dry January. Uh, and so, therefore, actually, that was another way of saving money because I saved a fortune by not buying wine. And indeed, in yesterday's shop, I was buying wine again, which significantly increased 
the amount of uh, the cost of, of my basket. Mm. But again, all the wines I bought were really nice wines, but they were all on offer and they all had £2, £2.50 per bottle reduced because they were on that particular week's club card offer. So make sure you take advantage of the special offers that are available at your local supermarket. Uh, Tomo, what's the big event today? Well, I'm quite excited about this one. This is a re- this is a, a a rebroadcast of a previous tip, but it's it's relevant. So um, at the time of recording, I'm not sure when this is going out. It's, it's around Six Nations time, and I am um, I'm going to go visit some friends, or me, me and the family are going to visit some friends in um, Twickenham this weekend, and it just so happens that it fits on a match day um, at at Twickenham itself. So they live in Twickenham. We're going to stay there. And we've not got tickets to go to the rugby, but uh, me me and uh, me and a friend, we're going to go to the pub to watch the game locally, get a bit of that, that pre-match atmosphere and then get into a pub and watch it, save a load of money because, quite frankly, Twickenham tickets are a few if you're listening. Reduce the price and make it a game for all. 130 quid to go watch Italy play is an absolute farce. Ouch! Yeah, quite. Anyway, we're going to go. But this tip, is in the pubs around that area. They use um, recyclable cups rather than glass ones, and it costs a pound. And a lot of people they they oh no I'm late for the kickoff oh, I better run and they just put their put their um, pint on the side without actually going to get their refundable pound back. So I'm going to go do some mine sweeping. I am going to go find an awful lot of these plastic cups that haven't been um, taken back, and I'm going to make a small fortune and pay for my beers by taking other people's plastic mugs that they've left. I can what just a very good idea. What, what, would the, what would the pub actually do, though, if you walked in with a, you know, with a, a snake of 30? Would they be obliged, I suppose, to give you that money back? Because they know they well, weren't all yours. Although we're about not to find out, David. <laughs> we're about to find out, aren't we? David, you're, you're asking that question as if he's not done it before. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I remember last time I did it all the way back so this must be years ago if it was in episode 31 but um actually went to the game when the ticket prices were reasonable um and i made enough money to go find uh, go buy some biltong because there's a big um there's a lot of biltong stands on the way to twickenham so yeah (laughs) free bags of biltong very nice indeed all paid for because i could be bothered to send back 15 mugs or glasses or whatever it was excellent well done tomo as ever an absolutely brilliant tip particularly if you're a rugby fan, although actually you don't have to be a rugby fan, you just need to live near Twickenham. Yeah, and there you go. If you're near Twickenham, number one, you're already living in one of the most expensive parts of the world, so you're going to need that extra bit of cash to be able to afford everything that's around there. So yeah, there you go. Well, the one time I went to Twickenham a few years ago for a Premiership final, uh, and I was really uh, struck by the fact that as you walk up the approach, like everybody's garden has got their selling beer, they've got a barbecue <laughs> yes. set up. You can park your car there for 50 quid or whatever. Everybody's got a little yeah, side hustle going on around. Minute. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Very enjoyable day out that was. Anyway, let's move on to our main event, our interview. Chris, tell us a bit more about this, please. So there are not many people these days who can honestly say they found out something that hasn't been known before, but I think Hal Hirschfield could be in that category. Ooh. He's done pioneering work in the area of connecting with our future selves. But I won't steal his thunder. Let's have a listen to my chat with Hal Hirschfield. Hal, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited to chat with you. So um, just, I've always liked to... 
picture where people are. Whereabouts do you live, where, roughly speaking? Oh, yeah. Okay, great. So we're in uh, Santa Monica, California, about about a mile or so from the beach, though. I don't go as often as I say I should. <laughs> I don't know a lot about Santa Monica. I must be honest with you. Uh, on the edge of Los Angeles. Is that right? Yeah, we're on the west side of L.A. Um, if you were to if you were to sort of draw, draw it on a map, we're about 30, 30 minutes without traffic from downtown, which, of course, means anywhere from 45 to an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the thing, one thing people who've been to L.A., I, I always hear is that you don't walk anywhere. Is that right? It's not, you know, I would say there's some caveats there. We we have we in fact moved from New York. And when we moved here, we said we gotta land somewhere we can walk. And so on the west side, there are some walking neighborhoods, but um uh and I'm I'm an East Coaster by heart, so I I often make a point of like insisting that I walk our one one of our kids to to preschool once a week, but it's like yeah. a forty five minute walk. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You got to get them up extra early. Um, exactly. So look, uh, let's just start off how, if we could, by just telling us this future self stuff that we're going to talk about. What got you into that area in the first place? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the the question. I mean, there's a couple things. For one, um, when I was in grad school, this was. Um, I'm sort of embarrassed to admit how long ago this was, but, you know, probably uh, almost 20 years ago, um, I started to work with my mentor, Dr. Laura Karstensen, because she was she was an expert on how people think about time. And I, for some reason, I was all, I always gravitated to this. I always thought it was such an interesting topic. You know, time is sort of the, the medium that we live in. It's this thing that we always think about. Um, and she did all this work looking at what happens when people face endings in their lives. I found this to be a really interesting topic. I started working with her and we had to sit down to say like, well, what should we, you know, what, what do you want to do your thesis on and these big questions? And she turned to me and she said, you know, not enough psychologists have really spoken to the needs of people when it comes to retirement. And I said, what? That sounds, uh, (laughs) yeah, pretty boring. (laughs) I said, I'm only 23. I, why should I think of this, you know, or 24, whatever I was? She said, that's exactly the point. And, um, you know, to be fair, that's kind of what really sparked my interest in this whole topic, because I started doing some digging in. I started reading more of the old literature, the philosophy literature, the old economics literature. And so much of that work sort of spoke philosophically to the connections that we have or don't have to our future selves. Um, now, you know, I did my dissertation and I really had focused on retirement savings and financial decisions. And I remember one of my other mentors said, this is so much more than that. You know, this is not just about dollars and cents. It's, you know, it's anything. And and I've I've really started to think more and more about all the different times that we say we want to do something <laughs> and then we just, for whatever reason, we can't do it. And to some extent, the book is largely about that. It's about that sort of issue that so many of us face so regularly, where we say we want to eat healthier, we say we want to save more, we say we want to be more present with our kids or our family or whatever it is, and then the present takes over. And we have a hard time sort of stepping out of it and seeing how each of our little actions adds up to the big picture. So I say that's where it really starts for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so let's, um, the second, let's just get into that. I just want to pick up on one little thing you said at the beginning there, because your mentor, the lady you said, was 
um, interested in people who have a finite lifespan. I mean, we've, we've all got a finite lifespan, but they know what theirs is. Um, and actually, that does particularly interest me just for a second, because um, my wife's a cancer nurse, an oncology nurse, and all the proceeds of the original financial wellbeing book go to a cancer charity. Yeah. So this is a subject that I've been around all my life is life ending illnesses, etc, mm-hmm. etc. Et so um, what impact does that have when you know when your life is going to end? What impact does that have on your decisions? It is such a fascinating question. And to some extent, this was almost the original question that got me into this space. Um, it turns out, you could ask that question about cancer patients who are, you know, uh, grappling with a terminal diagnosis. You could also ask the same question about older adults. Uh, and, you know, on a slightly more positive end, but much of the similar psychology, you could ask this question about people who are about to move or mm-hmm. graduate from college or high school, or whatever it may be. One of the things that we know from the literature is that when people face endings in their lives, they often winnow down their social circles. So they tend to then spend their time with the people who matter, doing the things that are meaningful to them. Um, so, you know, there, there was this thinking for the longest time that older people must be lonely because their social circles are so small. Uh, and then this is actually worked by my mentor, Laura Karstensen. She found it's, it's actually not quite the case. So on average, many older people experience uh, more positive emotions, less negative emotions than their younger counterparts. And you say, why? And then you start realizing, well, without this sort of vast and expansive timeline in front of them, they say, let's just spend our time doing the things that matter. And it, mm-hmm. and this is true, whether you're looking at older adults. It's also true she, she looked at younger men who were diagnosed with HIV AIDS. This is back in the 90s, who who, who like older adults had a limited time span. Mm. Um, and, and it may be also true for college graduates, high school graduates, when you're facing a meaningful ending, you focus your time on what matters. And that really can change your decisions. So I'm going to now do the things that are not going to give me sort of a hedonic sense of well-being, you know, this sort of, you know, almost frivolous sense, but rather spend my time doing the meaningful pursuits. So does that mean we should do that more often? Or is it, you know, yeah. is that it, it? Could we learn from that? Could we be happier if we spend more time that simplifying our lives? Or actually, is it just a different approach is needed for different parts of life? You know, it's it's probably somewhere between those two things, right? Because that sounds like a when, cop <laughs> <laughs> Off the fence now. Come on. My favorite answer. It depends. Uh, look, you know, it actually. There's a reason why when we're younger. Uh, and we have an expansive time frame. There's a reason why it makes sense to sometimes spend our time with people who may not be as quote unquote meaningful to us, um, or even doing pursuits that are not so meaningful. We could spend some of our expansive time uh, doing things that may be difficult right now, or we may spend time with people that aren't our favorite friends, but maybe there's some usefulness. It's and I don't mean to get exploring, isn't it, in a way? Exactly, exactly. And I don't mean to say this, that everything has to be some sort of transactional relationship, but rather, there's a difference between exploring and exploiting, right? And the way that psychologists have thought about this is that, you know, when we're when we're sort of just getting started, we explore and see what our opportunities are. 
And then when time is limited or opportunities are limited, then we exploit and we say, let's take sure. uh, the, you know, the most advantage of what we have in front of us, right? So there, there may be a reason when you're younger to not always think about things in terms of a limited time. But, but I do think that there is some usefulness to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you start um, thinking, yeah, go on. Sorry, that, that, that's, as you'll see behind me, I, I'm into my music. I've got several thousand. In fact, I've got a hard right. drive with all my music on. And um, if you played the first track, um, and then you kept playing to or you played every single bit of music that I've got without pause for 24 hours a day. It would take 136 years to play it all. <laughs> <laughs> so I like my music, but there's uh, uh, just well, Chris, you must have a long life expectancy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm an optimist. Let's put it that way. But there, there's um, a great line from a, a, an Irish comedian called Dyra O'Brien. And um, <laughs> he, I'm saying, I've decided I've got enough music now. I don't need to hear any more new music. I've got enough. <laughs> and that kind of plays that. into this doesn't it you know experiment for a while that person that you don't really get on with actually could turn out to be your best friend you just don't know that yet um and then there comes a point in time where you do you know what i don't need to do that anymore i'll just focus on the things that matter because things are coming to an end i get i get that i like that that's right that's right that's exactly right i love it so um let's go down to the future self stuff then can you explain why we find it so difficult to connect with our future selves Sure, there's there's so many reasons, right? It's it's not sort of a one single thing, but one of the reasons I would say is that we live in the present. <laughs> and everything that's happening right now not only is important, but it certainly feels more important and more weighty than the stuff that's going to happen down the line. And so it can be really difficult to not only live today, but to also consider all the needs of who will be tomorrow. And of course, not just us, but who our offspring will be and their offspring and so on and so on. These are really, these are really difficult and complex concepts to grapple with. You know, if you if you consider where we've been as a species uh, in terms of life expectancy, to some extent, and I'm oversimplifying this, but to some extent, there wasn't really a need to think very far into the future for so much of our history. <laughs> you know, when the average life expectancy was 27, well, there was no concept of retirement to begin with, right? And this is these, you know, these, these ideas of trying to save for the future, plan for the future, and not just our own futures, but future generations. These are, you know, from the standpoint of evolution, these are extraordinarily new concepts. And we don't have a lot of practice with it. I have a question there, Hal, because um, uh, even even take out life expectancy, even when we started living longer and and work difference, the government and employers looked after us with employer pension schemes and what have you. So we still That's didn't right. need to. So actually, certainly in the UK, it's only in like the last thirty to forty years out of entire evolutionary history. But there's a question there: Can't we just adapt? Why does that mean that we're not very good at doing it just because it's new? So, Chris, I love that you brought that up because I was going to mention that one of the other determinants here, one of the other reasons it's so difficult is that for so long, even if we were living longer, we didn't have two things. One is that we didn't have control over our own finances in, in many countries, right? This is not true sort of universally, but same thing between the US and the UK. Now we have our own defined contribution plans rather than defined benefit plans. We also, at the same time, see a rise in the availability of credit. And so you've got sort of mm. two competing forces here, which is to say, 
Now it's up to me to save for the long run. And yes, there are sort of these state-sponsored aspects, right? In this US, we have social security, which is essentially a you know a pension, but it's it's not, you know, for, for many people, it's not enough to maintain your standard of living. So you say, well, why don't we just adapt? Why don't we just take care of it? It, you know, and I, I don't want to make it sound like people are somehow irrational or or just so impulse driven. But but when the money comes to us right now and I've got to make a conscious choice to spend some and save some, it can be really easy to justify spending a little bit more and a little bit more here and a little bit more there. I, I study this stuff and I still have these, you know, these <laughs> feelings and these pulls and temptations. When you've got a pension, you know, whether whether it's firm operated or government operated, well, the money never touches your wallet. You know, it never goes into your bank account to begin with. I don't have to make that active choice. It just it just gets taken out of my paycheck, if you will, right? And put aside for the future. And so this is a this is a demanding consideration to ask many people to to think through. Yeah. I also, um, the neuroscience bit uh, of this also is really interesting, isn't it? Because that's the bit that the one I read, it's suddenly, I got it, you know, the different mm -hmm. parts of the brain, but don't let me ex explain it. You're the expert. Uh, oh. Right. So this is, I mean, this is another big part of it, right? So, you know, when you think about your future self, well, I'll take a step back. When you think about another person, your brain it does a pretty good job of saying, well, this is this is me uh, and that's not me. Now, of course, this is complicated. If, if I start thinking about my, my kids or my best friend, then you start to see a little bit more overlap in parts of the brain that are activated when considering me versus another person. Well, several years ago, my collaborators and I said, well, you know, if the future self in some ways from sort of a metaphor standpoint seems like another person, what happens when we get people to think about their future selves while we're looking at their brain activity? And sure enough, and, and again, here's a case where I'm just going to sort of simplify things. Sure enough, the neural activity that pops up when we think about our future selves looks a lot more like the brain activity that pops up when we think about another person. And so, you know, you think, well, what does that mean? It means on some level, our future selves are seen as if they are other people. Well, you know, well, so, so what? Well, then you start to sort of really dig down into that idea and that metaphor. And you can all of a sudden start understanding why we have such a hard time. Namely, in many cases, we act in sort of self-interested ways. I, mean, I don't mean we're always selfish, but rather if a stranger were to approach me right now and say, can, can you help me move my, my apartment into my new house? So I would say, well, no, I've got a bunch of other things to do today. I've got my own considerations. I've got my own kids and my own parents and all this stuff. Well, if my future self is like that, if, 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 my, if, if he's some, some stranger to me, all of a sudden it starts making sense why I might, spend today rather than save for tomorrow why i might eat the steak and chocolate cake tonight <laughs> rather than <laughs> the quinoa salad you know and and of course this is a little bit you know almost too black and white because we're not always self-interested right I, I mean you know if if you were to be in a pinch and say hell i actually really need some help with this thing well i probably would maybe yeah. put things aside you know especially if you were very close to me you know, or related to me, 
And so you start thinking about that. If my future self was less of a stranger and more of almost this like um, close other, the type of person that I'm, you know, wanting to spend my time with, which is strange to think about for my future self, then maybe I'll, I'll do things today that'll make his life a little bit better. So let, let, let's just, let's just pause there a second. Let's recap that. So, so when you say to somebody, put some money into savings or some pensions for your future self, you're basically saying, give money to somebody else. Yeah. I think that is a really good way to think about it. That's from a, from a meta store. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now the, you know, the, the one difference of course, is that this is someone else that with, you know, any luck we will turn into. Mm. Right. And you, you never see that with any other self versus other decision. Any other time you ask me to give money to a stranger, I will never become that stranger. <laughs> but I will eventually, assuming, you know, I hit my life expectancy targets, I will eventually become my future self. So it is another person, but it's another person I will morph into. Yeah. Yeah. There's um have you read the book Humankind by Rutger Bregman? No, no, I haven't, but it sounds oh, it sounds absolutely really recommend it to you. It was a book I badly needed during lockdown. And um it's in a Dutch historian, but it's a fantastic book. Um, but one of the one of the things that well, the, the principle of the whole book really is that um media and movies portray that in a crisis we'll all do horrible things to each other because we're mm. selfish. Mm-hmm. And his book gives a whole load of examples and disavows things like the, the the prisoner experiment and and all this kind of and 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 change that. And says actually we're really good at heart. Our nature, our innate nature, is to help each other. Um, so that plays into this. So that makes me happy. That, I feel that there's hope here. You know. <laughs> yes. Yes. No. I think you're right. And I mean, you know, there's some fascinating research by a professor named Dave Rand showing that you know in many in many cases people's intuitive response is actually to be helpers. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and that you really deliberate, then it then then you then you may see some certain quote unquote selfish behavior. But I, I think you're absolutely right. Um and of you know, of course, anecdotally, we saw plenty of cases like this, plenty of cases where people were altruistic and helpful uh, you know, during the early days of COVID. And and yeah, of course yeah. we can come up with other cases where that's not the case. But generosity blossomed in a way that I'm not sure many sort of hardcore, you know, um, analysts may, might have, might have anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so one really quick question then, cause I suspect the answer is a fairly simple one and then we'll get mm-hmm. on to what do we do about this? Um, mm-hmm. and, and that is the, the quick question is, would it be, would it be easy to say that the further away our further self is the worse the situation would be? So if we're talking a 20 year old, thinking about 65 year old, it's gonna be worse than a 30 year old thinking about a 35 year old. Is that reasonable? Yeah, I- I, it's totally reasonable. Generally speaking, I think that is the case. With more, you know, with more time or more temporal distance, the connections between those selves starts fraying more and more, can become harder and harder to picture. And you know, I think right now this period of time is really sheds a light on part of the reason why, which is that the future is shrouded um, in uncertainty, and uh, you know, especially when the present feels even more uncertain it can be really difficult to try to imagine what life will be like yeah. later on. Right. So, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right about yeah. that. I, I, I often say to um, older people when they criticize younger people for their financial decisions or whatever, I say, look, it's easy for you to say that, but they don't even know if there's going to be life on the planet by the time they get to retirement. Right. <laughs> so I how mean, are you going to get them to put some money away for that? 
you know, it's funny that you say that. I it's 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 darkly funny. <laughs> um, but of course there's some truth there. And and anecdotally, I've actually received some messages from younger people, whether students at colleges, and they say, Why, why should I be thinking about the very long term when so many people in my generation aren't even of sure if we'll be around or what the situation will be. And you know, I think it's a totally valid question. I actually spent a decent amount of time thinking about this before I wrote the, you know, the very end of the book, the, the, um, the, the epilogue, um, where, you know, I did a lot of reading there around this and it, you know, it strikes me that this is not the first time in history where there's been so much uncertainty about the existence of our of our futures. No, I, right? I, I, if, I'm a nuclear kid. I grew up in the, you know, when it actually genuinely thought that there was going to be a nuclear war. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, that's, you know, what, that's probably the most recent example of this sort of, you know, possible doomsday uh, mindset. Um, I actually talked to some folks at what's called the Long Now Foundation. These are, this is a, a think tank of sorts that really thinks about the very long term, not you know, not a hundred years from now, but ten thousand years from now. Right. And and one of the the executives there, when I talked to him, he said, you know, we can't constantly say, well, we can't worry about the future because we have to focus on the present because then a new future will ro roll around that we could have prevented yeah. <laughs> had we had we just had some sort of balance there. And so, yeah. you know, the 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 point that you're bringing up is a. It's a really important one. Um, and yet I would say to anybody who says, well, why should I do anything for the future? Because it might not be around. Well, you know, and yet it might. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so, yeah exactly, exactly. So that then that brings us nicely on then to, 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 to bring this together. What, what do we do about this? Because what we're all about here is financial well-being, money and happiness, getting better financial decisions, but financial decisions that are going to make us happier, not just wealthier. That's what this whole thing is all about. Yes. So yes. if we struggle to connect with our future self, therefore we don't make the financial decisions now for that future, what can we do about that? Right. It's, I mean, this is to some extent the what I really tried to focus on in the last, you know, call it third of the book, because I think it's it's fine and well to talk about the philosophy and the psychology and these big ideas. But then, like you said, what do we do about it? So I've sort of outlined three overall strategies. You know, one is to try to implement techniques that can make the future feel closer or make our future selves feel more emotionally close, right? Because if part of the problem is that we're making these decisions in a vacuum where we don't really think that deeply about our distant future selves, well, then one of the solutions could be to try to bring that future self closer into the present. All right, well, how do you do that? You know, there's a couple of um, possible interventions that I spotlight in the book, you know, whether it's writing letters to and from our future selves, which, and that's important, the to and from, just to maybe not enough, but if you write the letter back from the future self, that can really help get someone right. to step in the shoes of their future selves. Okay, um, let's just get my head around that. So you write a letter to your future self. What about? Right, well, you know, if you write, write a letter just to your future self, the concern is that you're really gonna just be talking about the present and, and what your life is like right now. But if you write a letter to your future self and then respond back, um, now I'm getting you to step into the shoes of that distant version of you. And you say, what about? Well, in the research, we normally try not to constrain it too much. Okay. Because then it can feel a little bit, I mean, this is already kind of a contrived exercise, right? 
Um, uh, but, you know, part of what the beauty of this is, is, you know, you see what happens when people write these letters and what, what happens. What do they, they write start... about? It? I, mean, I find it fascinating. I'm, I'm standing here thinking, what would I say to my future self? I'm not sure. I, I don't know what I would say. You know, I think Sorry? This, is, this is a great, <laughs> I apologize for buying the 4K TV. Uh, I didn't need it. <laughs> I know, you know, I don't need all these records. I've got too much music. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, well, you know, that's funny, right? And 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 your older self might say, you know what? I'm glad you did. I, I loved listening to them over the years. Beautiful, uh, beautiful. Yeah, good point. We we're actually right in the middle right now of doing an investigation to really look at what it is that people say. So I don't I don't have a great answer for you yet. Okay. Anecdotally, you see people talk about the big things, the big pictures. You know, am I happy? Did I get married? What's my you know, what what's my life like? How do I spend my time? Almost these big questions. Uh, and it's you know, how do you know? It's hard to answer that back, right? But uh, mm. it it. it and it's not that the exercise is meant to get people to sort of somehow try to predict the future. You can't, but what this sort of exercise and other ones like it, for instance, viewing an age progressed image in the midst of some sort of decision about our futures. Part of what these sorts of exercises do is paint a more vivid picture around who will be. Um, we know from prior work that vivid examples are emotional uh, and you know, emotional examples drive people to to take action. Um, and that, so this is, yeah, go sorry, ahead. Sorry, it's that point about the stranger, isn't it? You're trying to make your future self be less of a stranger. Exactly. I think you said it really well. So, so that's one, you know, bucket of strategies, but there's others that we can do, especially in the financial space. Um, you know, with the other sort of, one of the other categories that I'm fond of looking at is, um, well, acknowledging that it's really difficult to make trade-offs between the present and the future because it's the present self who always has to suffer you know he, he's the guy that always has to you know save and not spend and it's the future self who reaps the benefits of that so if we can figure out ways to frame our present sacrifices so that they are somehow less painful and less of a sacrifice well then maybe we can start making these decisions that sort of bridge that gap. So, you know, by way of an example, um, some of my research with uh, my collaborators, Shlomo Benarzi and Steve Shu, this is a recent paper where we asked people if they wanted to set aside some money every month for, you know, a, a savings account, an automatic savings account. We asked one group if they've saved 150 bucks a month. We asked another group if they'd save $35 a week. And we asked a final group if they'd save $5 a day. Now, it's all the same amount of money. Uh, $5 a day, however, makes the present quote-unquote sacrifice feel a lot easier to make because most people can think of something that they'd be willing to give up that's $5 a day. It's considerably harder, on the other hand, to think of something that's $150 a month that I'd give up. Uh, and and we were, we were surprised. We found that about 28% of people signed up when it was $5 a day compared to 7% when right. it was 150 a month. And these were users of a fintech app. You know, in some ways, those numbers are inflated because these are folks who willingly signed up for a savings app to begin with. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think the point remains, which is that that's a almost simple psychological intervention that changes the nature of the present sacrifice to make it feel easier. 
There's also something in the automation there as well, isn't there? Um, well, absolutely. Which avoids absolutely. that present bias type thing. Um, and that, and that, you know, it's funny that you say that because I was going to mention that the the sort of third big category that I like to look at is, I, you know, I've I've called it, you know, stay on the path or stay on the course, whatever it may be. Um, it's essentially implementing you know, what we call uh, commitment devices. And, and and we've known about these for, for a while, but I think viewed through the lens of present and future selves, they start to make even more sense. Because, um, the you know, the idea is that we almost need to recognize that despite our best efforts, the the present versions of us may mess things up. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, if I'm tonight... You know, right now I've told you that I, I don't, I'm not going to have dessert tonight. And then tonight rolls around and then I'm, I'm my present self standing in front of the pantry and I see that there's some cookies there. It's really hard to say no to those, especially after a long day and all the things that have happened on Monday or whatever day it may be. Well, if we can recognize that our present selves may be the ones who screw things up for our future selves, <laughs> uh, well, then we can start to say, well, what sort of things could we do? Um, and this is different than making our future selves closer. It's different than making present sacrifices feel easier. The idea here is to essentially figure out the guardrails that we can put on our behavior so we don't mess things up. No, I, I, Hal, that's been absolutely fantastic. I, I've taken more of your time than I, th I thought we were going to. So I really, really appreciate it. Um, I will be pre-ordering your book. Absolutely no question about it. And uh, I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Hey, Chris, thank you so much. It was great to, to chat with you. Well. Fascinating stuff, Chris. And the thing that sprang to my mind listening to that is that, as we've discussed previously on this podcast, I've already become my future self. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but it is it is interesting to compare my older and younger selves because actually we were in some ways the same, but in other ways very different people. And probably a lot of people would say that um, when I was young, I never really thought about the future. And I think the conundrum for me is. Uh, if I wrote to my younger self now, as Hal mm. suggests, I, I would indeed tell myself to plan more for the future. But my younger self would probably say, yeah, I will do that, but then actually not do anything about it. <laughs> so um, that exercise he talks about, um, of writing a letter to your future self, I mean, actually you should be writing a letter to your future self, David, your 80-year-old <laughs> self, and then... But the key thing is to write that letter back as your 80-year-old self or Tombo as your 60-year-old self or whatever it might be, um, because it forces you to put yourself in the shoes of your future self and therefore helps you to connect with your future self. And therefore, that there's a line he uses about my future self is a stranger to me. You know, and it's about making a friend with your future self, connecting with your future self in order that you then make better long-term decisions today. But for me, when I first read something that he'd written, there was a light bulb went off um, that we use a different part of the brain to think mm -hmm. of ourselves as we do our future selves. And now, oh, my God, it just explains so many things. Um, and from that simple start, I think his work is fascinating. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think about my own experience with, with talking with friends, even my, myself, but also the, the work we do with clients. So we've got a fairly broad age group of people that we look after at Ovation, but obviously we work a lot within the within the retirement planning over 50s and retirement space, but we got quite a lot of uh, young professionals and, and business owners that, that are kind of in their in their 30s space. And 
The big difference I do find is absolutely this connection to the future self. For the old, the older you get, it, it does become more clear. You do have that more clarity. Although saying that, that eighty-year-old person probably needs some work on. Um, so we can actually connect, and the decisions they make feel real. You know, well, I'm putting money into a pension that I'm going to use in the next ten years. I can feel that. But when we're looking and working with younger people, um, automation, and he talked about automation, is I, I love this expression. That- Sorry, Tom. I love this expression: commitment devices. Commitment devices, yeah, it, it, absolutely. It, it is that is the tool that we drive home. You know, we create a plan, and, and the future can be a bit fuzzy, but it's that automation that all of a sudden they almost sleepwalk into having done the right things. Um, so, so that's a lot of what we try and talk with people is, is creating those good habits and not leaving themselves to make the decisions in the moment. Automation is the key. So, yeah, really interesting interview, Chris. I've, I've thrown up a lot of. Uh, uh, quite complicated concepts a couple of other things from that interview if i may um now is more important than the future which is another line and i think that's such a great lesson to take away from this um that that's why we and and there are so many money distractions there are so many forces that are persuading us to be more like that because then we consume now so availability of credit he mentioned for example which is boomed over the last 40 50 years was well, didn't exist 70 years ago um so it's the world is 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 against us <laughs> you know it's trying to make us more about now consume now gamble advertising and sport all this kind of stuff it's all about spending money now so this this is such a key concept to connect with our future selves better because it will there are so many forces trying to stop us from doing that it's really important that we grasp the nettle of this idea and, and take some of these actions that he suggested. Mm, hear, hear. Well, Chris, I think there's no better way to sum up the whole um, of today's podcast than that, really. A really interesting interview. And thanks very much for your thoughts on that, both of you. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it at home or in the car or wherever you're listening to this podcast and that you'll join us again for another one of our financial well-being podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think.